Chapter Twenty Two of Ramona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ramona by Helen Hunt Jackson. Chapter Twenty Two. During the first day of Ramona's and Alessandro's sad journey, they scarcely spoke. Alessandro walked at the horses' heads, his face sunk on his breast, his eyes fixed on the ground. Ramona watched him in anxious fear. Even the baby's voice and cooing laugh won from him no response. After they were camped for the night, she said, "'Dear Alessandro, will you not tell me where we are going?' In spite of her gentleness there was a shade of wounded feeling in her tone. Alessandro flung himself on his knees before her and cried, "'My Mahela, my Mahela, it seems to me I'm going mad. I cannot tell what to do. I do not know what I think. All my thoughts seem whirling round as leaves do in brooks in the time of the spring rains. Do you think I can be going mad? It was enough to make me.' Ramona, her own heart wrung with fear, soothed him as best she could. "'Dear Alessandro,' she said, "'let us go to Los Angeles and not live with the Indians any more. "'You could get work there. "'You could play at dances sometimes. "'There must be plenty of work. "'I could get more sewing to do, too. "'It would be better, I think.' He looked horror-stricken at the thought. "'Go live among the white people?' he cried. What does Mahela think would become of one Indian or two alone among whites? If they will come to our villages and drive us out a hundred at a time, what would they do to one man alone? Oh, Mahela is foolish. But there are many of your people at work for whites at San Bernardino and other places, she persisted. Why could not we do as they do? Yes, he said bitterly, at work for whites. So they are. Mahela has not seen. No man will pay an Indian but half wages. Even long ago, when the fathers were not all gone and tried to help the Indians, my father has told me that it was the way only to pay an Indian one half that a white man or a Mexican had. It was the Mexicans, too, did that, Mahela. And now they pay the Indians in money sometimes, half wages, sometimes in bad flour or things he does not want, sometimes in whiskey and if he will not take it and asks for his money they laugh and tell him to go then one man in san bernardino last year when an indian would not take a bottle of sour wine for pay for a day's work shot him in the cheek with his pistol and told him to mind how he was insolent any more oh mahela do not ask me to go work in the towns i should kill some man mahela if i saw things like that ramona shuddered and was silent Alessandro continued, "'If Mahela would not be afraid, I know a place high up on the mountain where no white man has ever been or ever will be. I found it when I was following a bear. The beast led me up. It was his home. And I said then it was a fit hiding place for a man. There is water and a little green valley. We could live there. But it would be no more than to live. It is very small, the valley. Mahela would be afraid?' "'Yes, Alessandro, I would be afraid all alone on a high mountain. "'Oh, do not let us go there. "'Try something else first, Alessandro. "'Is there no other Indian village you know?' "'There is Sababa,' he said, "'at foot of the San Jacinto Mountain. "'I had thought of that. 
Some of my people went there from Temecula, but it is a poor little village, Mahela. Mahela would not like to live in it. Neither do I believe it will long be any safer than San Pasquale. There was a kind, good old man who owned all that valley, Senor Ravallo. He found the village of Sababa there when he came to the country. It is one of the very oldest of all. He was good to all Indians, and he said they should never be disturbed, never. He is dead, but his three sons have the estate yet, and I think they would keep their father's promise to the Indians. But you see, to-morrow, Mahela, they may die or go back to Mexico, as Senor Valdez did, and then the Americans will get it, as they did to Mecula. And there are already white men living in the valley. We will go that way, Mahela. Mahela shall see. If she says stay, we will stay. It was in the early afternoon that they entered the broad valley of San Jacinto. They entered it from the west. As they came in, though the sky over their heads was overcast and gray, the eastern and northeastern part of the valley was flooded with a strange light, at once ruddy and golden. It was a glorious sight. The jagged top and spurs of San Jacinto Mountain shone like the turrets and posterns of a citadel built of rubies. The glow seemed preternatural. "'Behold San Jacinto!' cried Alessandro. Ramona exclaimed in delight. "'It is an omen,' she said. "'We are going into the sunlight out of the shadow.' And she glanced back at the west, which was of a slaty blackness. "'I like it not,' said Alessandro. "'The shadow follows too fast.' Indeed it did. Even as he spoke a fierce wind blew from the north, and tearing off fleeces from the black cloud sent them in scurrying masses across the sky." In a moment more snowflakes began to fall. "'Holy Virgin!' cried Alessandro. Too well he knew what it meant. He urged the horses, running fast beside them. It was of no use. Too much even for Baba and Benito to make any haste with the heavily loaded wagon. "'There is an old sheep corral and a hut not over a mile farther if we could but reach it,' groaned Alessandro. "'Mahela, you and the child will freeze.' "'She is warm on my breast,' said Ramona. "'But, Alessandro, what ice in this wind! "'It is like a knife at my back!' "'Alessandro uttered another ejaculation of dismay. "'The snow was fast thickening. "'Already the track was covered. "'The wind lessened. "'Thank God that wind no longer cuts as it did,' said Ramona, her teeth chattering, "'clasping the baby closer and closer.' "'I would rather it blew than not,' said Alessandro. "'It will carry the snow before it. "'A little more of this and we cannot see any more than in the night.' "'Still thicker and faster fell the snow. "'The air was dense. "'It was, as Alessandro had said, worse than the darkness of night, "'this strange, opaque whiteness, thick, choking, freezing one's breath. "'Presently the rough jolting of the wagon showed that they were off the road.' The horses stopped, refused to go on. "'We are lost if we stay here,' cried Alessandro. "'Come, my Benito, come!' And he took him by the head and pulled him by main force back into the road and led him along. It was terrible. Ramona's heart sank within her. She felt her arms growing numb. How much longer could she hold the baby safe? She called to Alessandro. He did not hear her. 
The wind had risen again. The snow was being blown in masses. It was like making headway among whirling snowdrifts. We will die, thought Ramona. Perhaps it is as well. And that was the last she knew, till she heard a shouting, and found herself being shaken and beaten, and heard a strange voice saying, "'Sorry ter handle yer so rough, ma'am, but we've got ter git yer out ter the fire.' Fire! Were there such things as fire and warmth? Mechanically she put the baby into the unknown arms that were reaching up to her, and tried to rise from her seat, but she could not move. "'Set still, set still,' said the strange voice. "'I'll just carry the baby to my wife and come back for you. "'I allowed you couldn't get up on your feet.' "'And the tall form disappeared. "'The baby, thus vigorously disturbed from her warm sleep, began to cry. "'Thank God,' said Alessandro at the plunging horse's heads. "'The child is alive. Mahela,' he called.' "'Yes, Alessandro,' she answered faintly, the gusts sweeping her voice like a distant echo past him. It was a marvellous rescue. They had been nearer the old sheep corral than Alessandro had thought, but except that other storm-beaten travellers had reached it before them, Alessandro had never found it. Just as he felt his strength failing him, and had thought to himself, in almost the same despairing words as Ramona, this will end all our troubles. He saw a faint light to the left. Instantly he had turned the horses' heads towards it. The ground was rough and broken, and more than once he had been in danger of overturning the wagon, but he had pressed on, shouting at intervals for help. At last his call was answered, and another light appeared, this time a swinging one, coming slowly towards him, a lantern in the hand of a man whose first words— "'Wall, stranger, I'll allow you're into trouble,' were as intelligible to Alessandro as if they had been spoken in the purest San Luiseno dialect. Not so to the stranger Alessandro's grateful reply in Spanish. "'Another of these no-count Mexicans by thunder,' thought Jeff Hire to himself. "'Blamed if I'd lived in a country all my life if I wouldn't know better than to get caught out in such weather's this.' And as he put the crying babe into his wife's arms, he said half impatiently, "'If I'd known twas Mexicans, Re, I wouldn't have gone out to em. They're more to em than I am in these year tropics.' "'Now, Jeff, you know you wouldn't let anything in shape of a human creature go perishin' past our fire in such weather's this,' replied the woman as she took the baby, which recognized the motherly hand at its first touch and ceased crying." "'Why, you're pretty blue-eyed little thing!' she exclaimed as she looked into the baby's face. "'I declare, Joss, think of such a mite's this being out in this weather. "'I'll just warm up some milk for it this minute.' "'Better see to the mother first, Ree,' said Jeff, leading, half carrying Ramona into the hut. "'She's nigh about froze stiff.' But the sight of her baby safe and smiling was a better restorative for Ramona than anything else and in a few moments she had fully recovered. It was in a strange group she found herself. On a mattress in the corner of the hut lay a young man apparently about twenty-five, whose bright eyes and flushed cheeks told but too plainly the story of his disease. The woman, tall, ungainly, her face gaunt, her hands hardened and wrinkled, gown ragged, shoes ragged, 
her dry and broken light hair wound in a careless straggling knot in her neck wisps of it flying over her forehead was certainly not a prepossessing figure yet spite of her careless unkempt condition there was a certain gentle dignity in her bearing and a kindliness in her glance which won trust and warmed hearts at once her pale blue eyes were still keen-sighted and as she fixed her eyes on ramona she thought to herself this ain't no common mexican nohow be ye movers she said ramona stared in the little english she knew that word was not included ah senora she said regretfully i cannot talk in the english speech only in spanish spanish eh yer mean mexican joss here he can talk that he can't talk much though tain't good for him his lungs is out of kilter that's what we're bringin him here fer fer warm climate pears like it don't it and she chuckled grimly but with a side glance of ineffable tenderness at the sick man ask her who they be joss she added joss lifted himself on his elbow and fixing his shining eyes on ramona said in spanish my mother asks if you are travellers yes said ramona we have come all the way from san diego we are indians injuns ejaculated joss's mother lord save us joss have we really took in injuns what on earth well well she's fond of her babies any white woman i can see that an injun or no injun they've got to stay now yer can't turn a dog out in such weather's this i bet that baby's father was white then look at them blue eyes Ramona listened and looked intently, but could understand nothing. Almost she doubted if the woman were really speaking English. She had never before heard so many English sentences without being able to understand one word. The Tennessee drawl so altered even the commonest words that she did not recognize them. Turning to Joss, she said gently, "'I know very little English. I am so sorry I cannot understand.' Will it tire you to interpret to me what your mother said? Joss was as full of humor as his mother. She wants me to tell her what you was saying, he said. I allow. I'll only tell her the part aunt she'll like best. My mother says you can stay here with us till the storm is over, he said to Ramona. Swifter than lightning, Ramona had seized the woman's hand and carried it to her heart with an expressive gesture of gratitude and emotion. "'Thanks, thanks, Senora,' she cried. "'What is it she calls me, Joss?' asked his mother. "'Senora,' he replied. "'It only means the same as lady.' "'Pshaw, Joss, you tell her I ain't any lady. "'Tell her everybody round where we live calls me Aunt Ree or Miss Hire. "'She can call me whichever she's a mind to. "'She's real sweet-spoken.' "'With some difficulty Joss explained his mother's disclaimer of the title of Senora,' and the choice of names she offered to Ramona. Ramona, with smiles which won both mother and son, repeated after him both names, getting neither exactly right at first trial, and finally said, I like Aunt Ree best. She is so kind, like Aunt, to everyone. Now, ain't that queer, Joss, said Aunt Ree, out here in this wilderness to catch somebody saying that, just what they all say to em. I don't know's I'm any kinder'n anybody else. I don't want to see anybody put upon, nor no ways sufferin', ef so be's I can help. But that ain't anything extraordinary as I know. 
I don't know how anybody could feel any different. There's lots do's, Mammy, replied Joss affectionately. You'd find out fast enough if you went round more. There's mighty few's good as you air to everybody. Ramona was crouching in the corner by the fire, her baby held close to her breast. The place which at first had seemed a haven of warmth she now saw was indeed but a poor shelter against the fearful storm which raged outside. It was only a hut of rough boards, carelessly knocked together for a shepherd's temporary home. It had been long unused, and many of the boards were loose and broken. Through these crevices, at every blast of the wind, the fine snow whirled. On the hearth were burning a few sticks of wood, dead cottonwood branches, which Jeff Heyer had hastily collected before the storm reached its height. A few more sticks lay by the hearth. Aunt Ree glanced at them anxiously, a poor provision for a night in the snow. "'Be ye warm, Joss?' she asked. "'Not very, Mammy,' he said, "'but I ain't cold nother, and that's something.' It was the way in the higher family to make the best of things. They had always possessed this virtue to such an extent that they suffered from it as from a vice. There was hardly to be found in all southern Tennessee a more contented, shiftless, ill-bestead family than theirs. But there was no grumbling. Whatever went wrong, whatever was lacking, it was just like our luck, they said, and did nothing, or next to nothing, about it. Good-natured, affectionate, humorous people, after all they got more comfort out of life than many a family whose surface conditions were incomparably better than theirs. When Joss, their oldest child and only son, broke down, had hemorrhage after hemorrhage, and the doctor said the only thing that could save him was to go across the plains in a wagon to California, they said, "'What good luck Lizzie was married last year! Now there ain't nothing to hinder us selling the farm and going right off!' And they sold their little place for half it was worth, traded cattle for a pair of horses and a covered wagon, and set off, half-beggared, with their sick boy on a bed in the bottom of the wagon, as cheery as if they were rich people on a pleasure trip. A pair of steers to spell the horses, and a cow to give milk for Joss, they drove before them. And so they had come by slow stages, sometimes camping for a week at a time, all the way from Tennessee to the San Jacinto Valley. They were rewarded. Joss was getting well. Another six months, they thought, would see him cured, and it would have gone hard with anyone who had tried to persuade either Jefferson or Maria Heyer that they were not as lucky a couple as could be found. Had they not saved Joshua, their son? Nicknames among this class of poor whites in the South seem singularly like those in vogue in New England. From totally opposite motives, the lazy, easy-going Tennessean and the hurry-driven Vermonter cut down all their family names to the shortest. To speak three syllables where one will answer seems to the Vermonter a waste of time, to the Tennessean quite too much trouble. Mrs. Heyer could hardly recollect ever having heard her name Maria in full. As a child, and until she was married, she was simply Re 
and as soon as she had a house of her own to become a centre of hospitality and help, she was adopted by common consent of the neighbourhood in a sort of titular and universal aunthood, which really was a much greater tribute and honour than she dreamed. Not a man, woman, or child within her reach that did not call her or know of her as Aunt Ree. "'I don't know whether I'd best make any more fire now or not,' she said reflectively. "'If this storm's going to last till morning, we'll come short of wood, that's clear.' As she spoke, the door of the hut burst open, and her husband staggered in, followed by Alessandro, both covered with snow, their arms full of wood. Alessandro, luckily, knew of a little clump of young cottonwood trees in a ravine only a few rods from the house, and the first thing he had thought of, after tethering the horses in shelter between the hut and the wagons, was to get wood. Jeff, seeing him take a hatchet from the wagon, had understood, got his own, and followed, and now there lay on the ground enough to keep them warm for hours. As soon as Alessandro had thrown down his load, he darted to Ramona, and kneeling down, looked anxiously into the baby's face, then into hers. Then he said devoutly, "'The saints be praised, my Mahela. It is a miracle!' Joss listened in dismay to this ejaculation. "'Ef they ain't Catholics,' he thought. "'What kind of Injuns be they, I wonder? I won't tell Mammy they're Catholics. She'd feel worse than ever.' I don't care what they be. That gal's got the sweetest eyes in her head ever I saw since I was born. By help of Joss's interpreting, the two families soon became well acquainted with each other's condition and plans, and a feeling of friendliness, surprising under the circumstances, grew up between them. Jeff, said Aunt Ree, Jeff, they can't understand a word we say, so it's no harm done, I suppose, to speak a forum though it don't seem hardly fair to take advantage of their not knowing any language but their own. But I just tell you that I've got a lesson in the subject of Indians. I've always had a real mean feeling about em. I didn't want to come nigh em, nor to have em come nigh me. This woman here, she's as sweet a creature as ever I see, and is bound up in that baby's yer could ask any woman to be. And as for that man, can't yer see, Jeff, he just worships the ground she walks on. "'That's a fact, Jeff. I don't know's I ever seen a white man think so much of a woman. "'Come now, Jeff, do you think you ever did yourself?' Aunt Ree was excited. The experience was to her almost incredible. Her ideas of Indians had been drawn from newspapers, and from a book or two of narratives of massacres, and from an occasional sight of vagabond bands or families they had encountered in their journey across the plains.' Here she found herself sitting side by side in friendly intercourse with an Indian man and Indian woman, whose appearance and behavior were attractive, towards whom she felt herself singularly drawn. "'I'm free to confess, Joss,' she said. "'I wouldn't have believed it. I hain't seen nobody, black, white, or gray, since we left home. I've took to like these year folks, and they're real dark, as dark's any nigger in Tennessee.' And he's pure injun her father was white she says but she don't call herself nothing but an injun the same's he is do you notice the way she looks at him joss don't she just set store by that feller and i don't blame her indeed joss had noticed no man was likely to see ramona with alessandro without perceiving the rare quality of her devotion to him 
and now there was added to this devotion an element of indefinable anxiety which made its vigilance unceasing. Ramona feared for Alessandro's reason. She had hardly put it into words to herself, but the terrible fear dwelt with her. She felt another blow would be more than he could bear. The storm lasted only a few hours. When it cleared, the valley was a solid expanse of white, and the stars shone out as if in an arctic sky. "'It will be all gone by noon to-morrow,' said Alessandro to Jos, who was dreading the next day. "'Not really,' he said. "'You will see,' said Alessandro. "'I have often known it thus. It is like death while it lasts, but it is never long.' The hires were on their way to some hot springs on the north side of the valley. Here they proposed to camp for three months to try the waters for Joss. They had a tent and all that was necessary for living in their primitive fashion. Aunt Ri was looking forward to the rest with great anticipation. She was heartily tired of being on the move. Her husband's anticipations were of a more stirring nature. He had heard that there was good hunting on San Jacinto Mountain. When he found that Alessandro knew the region thoroughly, and had been thinking of settling there, he was rejoiced, and proposed to him to become his companion and guide in hunting expeditions. Ramona grasped eagerly at the suggestion. Companionship, she was sure, would do Alessandro good companionship, the outdoor life, and the excitement of hunting, of which he was fond. This hot spring canyon was only a short distance from the Sababa village, of which they had spoken as a possible home, which she had from the first desired to try. She no longer had repugnance to the thought of an Indian village. She already felt a sense of kinship and shelter with any Indian people. She had become, as Carmena had said, one of them. A few days saw the two families settled, the hires in their tent and wagon at the hot springs, and Alessandro and Ramona with the baby in a little adobe house in the Sababa village. The house belonged to an old Indian woman who, her husband having died, had gone to live with a daughter and was very glad to get a few dollars by renting her own house. It was a wretched place, one small room, walled with poorly made adobe bricks, thatched with tulle, no floor, and only one window. When Alessandro heard Ramona say cheerily, Oh, this will do very well when it is repaired a little, his face was convulsed, and he turned away, but he said nothing. It was the only house to be had in the village, and there were few better. Two months later no one would have known it, Alessandro had had good luck in hunting. Two fine deerskins covered the earth floor, a third was spread over the bedstead, and the horns, hung on the walls, served for hooks to hang clothes upon. The scarlet calico canopy was again set up over the bed, and the woven cradle on its red manzanita frame stood near. A small window in the door, and one more cut in the walls, let in light and air, on a shelf near one of these windows stood the little Madonna, again wreathed with vines as in San Pasquale. When Aunt Re first saw the room after it was thus arranged, she put both arms akimbo and stood in the doorway, her mouth wide open, her eyes full of wonder. 
Finally her wonder framed itself in an ejaculation. "'Well, I allow ye air fixed up!' Aunt Ri, at her best estate, had never possessed a room which had the expression of this poor little mud-hut of Ramona's. She could not understand it. The more she studied the place, the less she understood it. On returning to the tent, she said to Joss, "'It beats all I ever see the way that Injun woman's got fixed up out er nothin'. It ain't no more'n a hovel, a mud hovel, Joss, not much bigger than this here tent, for all three in em, and the bed and the stove and everything, and I vow, Joss, she's fixed it so it looks just like a parlor. It beats me, it does. I'd just like you to see it.' When Joss saw it, and Jeff, they were as full of wonder as Aunt Ri had been. Dimly they recognized the existence of a principle here which had never entered into their life. They did not know it by name, and it could not have been either taught, transferred, or explained to the good-hearted wife and mother who had been so many years the affectionate disorderly genius of their home. But they felt its charm, and when, one day after the return of Alessandro and Jeff from a particularly successful hunt, the two families had sat down together to a supper of Ramona's cooking, stewed venison and artichokes and frijoles with chili, their wonder was still greater. "'Ask her if this is Injun style of cooking, Joss,' said Aunt Ri. "'I never thought nothing of beans, but these are good, no mistake.' Ramona laughed. "'No, it is Mexican,' she said. "'I learned to cook from an old Mexican woman. "'Well, I'd like the receipt, Aunt, "'but I allow I shouldn't never get the time to fuss with it,' said Aunt Ri. "'But I may as well get the rule now I'm here.' Alessandro began to lose some of his gloom. He had earned money. He had been lifted out of himself by kindly companionship. He saw Ramona cheerful, the little one sunny, the sense of home, the strongest passion Alessandro possessed, next to his love for Ramona, began again to awaken him. He began to talk about building a house. He had found things in the village better than he feared. It was but a poverty-stricken little handful, to be sure. Still they were unmolested. The valley was large, their stock ran free. The few white settlers— one at the upper end and two or three on the south side, had manifested no disposition to crowd the Indians. The Ravallo brothers were living on the estate still, and there was protection in that, Alessandro thought. And Mahela was content. Mahela had found friends. Something, not quite hope, but akin to it, began to stir in Alessandro's heart. He would build a house, Mahela should no longer live in this mud hut. But to his surprise, when he spoke of it, Ramona said no. They had all they needed now. Was not Alessandro comfortable? She was. It would be wise to wait longer before building. Ramona knew many things that Alessandro did not. While he had been away on his hunts, she had had speech with many a one he never saw. She had gone to the store and post-office several times to exchange baskets or lace for flour, and she had heard talk there which disquieted her. She did not believe that Sababa was safe. One day she had heard a man say, 
if there's a drought we shall have the devil to pay with our stock before winter is over yes said another and look at those damned indians over there in sababa with water running all the time in their village it's a shame they should have that spring not for worlds would ramona have told this to alessandro she kept it locked in her own breast but it rankled there like a ceaseless warning and prophecy when she reached home that day she went down to the spring in the centre of the village and stood a long time looking at the bubbling water it was indeed a priceless treasure a long irrigating ditch led from it down into the bottom where lay the cultivated fields many acres in wheat barley and vegetables alessandro himself had fields there from which they would harvest all they needed for the horses and their cow all winter in case pasturage failed if the whites took away this water saboba would be ruined however as the spring began in the very heart of the village they could not take it without destroying the village and the rivalos would surely never let that be done thought ramona while they live it will not happen it was a sad day for ramona and alessandro when the kindly hires pulled up their tent stakes and left the valley their intended three months had stretched into six they had so enjoyed the climate and the waters had seemed to do such good to jos but we ain't rich folks you know not by a long ways we ain't said aunt ri and we've got pretty nigh down to where jeff and me's got to begin earning something if we can get settled in some of these towns where there's carpentering to be done jeff he's a master hand at that kind of work though you mightn't think it and i can earn right smart at weavin just give me a good carpet loom and i won't be beholden to nobody for vittles i just do love weavin i don't know how i've contented myself this whole year or nigh about a year without a loom jeff he says to me once says he Reed, do you think you'd be contented in heaven without your loom and i was free to say i didn't knows i should is it hard cried ramona could i learn to do it it was wonderful what progress in understanding and speaking english ramona had made in these six months she now understood nearly all that was said directly to her though she could not follow general and confused conversation well tis and taint said aunt ri i don't suppose i'm much of a judge for i can't remember when i first learned it i know i set in the loom to weave when my feet couldn't reach the floor and i don't remember nothing about fust learnin to spool and warp i've tried to teach lots of folks and some learns quick and some don't never learn it's just as it strikes em i should think now that you as one of the kind could turn your hands to anything when we get settled in san bernardino if you'll come down there i'll teach you all i know and be glad ter i don't know it's going to be much of a place for carpet weavin though anywheres round in this year country not but what thar's plenty of rags but folks seems to be wearin em pretty general wear i should say i've seen more clothes on folks's backs here that want no more fit for carpet rags than any place ever i struck they're dreadful chefless lot these year mexicans and the injuns is worse now when i say injuns i don't never mean you you know that you ain't ever seemed to me one might like an injun most of our people haven't had any chance said ramona you wouldn't believe if i were to tell you what things have been done to them how they are robbed and cheated and turned out of their homes 
Then she told the story of Temecula and of San Pasquale in Spanish to Jos, who translated it with no loss in the telling. Aunt Ri was aghast. She found no words to express her indignation. "'I don't believe the government knows anything about it,' she said. "'Why, they take folks up and penitentiarize em for life back in Tennessee for things that ain't so bad's that. Somebody ought to be sent to tell em to Washington what's going on here.' "'I think it's the people in Washington that have done it,' said Ramona sadly. "'Is it not in Washington all the laws are made?' "'I believe so,' said Aunt Ree. "'Ain't it, Joss? "'It's Congress, ain't it, makes the laws?' "'I believe so,' said Joss. "'They make some, at any rate. "'I don't know's they make em all.' "'It is all done by the American law,' said Ramona. "'All these things. "'Nobody can help himself, "'for if anybody goes against the law, "'he has to be killed or put in prison. "'That was what the sheriff told Alessandro at Temecula.' he felt very sorry for the temecula people the sheriff did but he had to obey the law himself alessandro says there isn't any help aunt ri shook her head she was not convinced i shall make a business of finding out about this thing yet she said i think yer ain't got the rights on't yet there's cheatin somewhere it's all cheating said ramona but there isn't any help for it aunt ri the Americans think it is no shame to cheat for money. "'I'm an American,' cried Aunt Ree, "'and Jeff Hire and Joss. "'We're Americans, and we wouldn't cheat nobody, "'not if we knowed it, not out or a dollar. "'We're poor, and I always expect to be, "'but we're above cheatin'. "'And I tell you now, the American people "'don't want any of this cheatin' done now. "'I'm going to ask Jeff how it is. "'Why, it's a burnin' shame to any country. "'So tis.' I think something ought to be done about it. I wouldn't mind going myself if there weren't anybody else. A seed had been sown in Aunt Ree's mind which was not destined to die for want of soil. She was hot with shame and anger, and full of impulse to do something. I ain't nobody, she said. I know that well enough. I ain't nobody nor nothing. But I allow I've got something to say about the country I live in, and the way things had ought to be, or at least Jeff has, and that's the same thing. I tell your Joss I ain't going to rest, nor to give you and your father no rest nother, till you find out what all this year means she's been telling us. But sharper and closer anxieties than any connected with rights to lands and homes were pressing upon Alessandro and Ramona. All summer the baby had been slowly drooping, so slowly that it was each day possible for Ramona to deceive herself, thinking that there had been since yesterday no loss, perhaps a little gain. But looking back from the autumn to the spring, and now from the winter to the autumn, there was no doubt that she had been steadily going down. From the day of that terrible chill in the snowstorm she had never been quite well, Ramona thought. Before that she was strong, always strong, always beautiful and merry, now her pinched little face was sad to see, and sometimes for hours she made a feeble wailing cry without any apparent cause. All the simple remedies that Aunt Ree had known had failed to touch her disease. In fact, Aunt Ree from the first had been baffled in her own mind by the child's symptoms. Day after day Alessandro knelt by the cradle, his hands clasped, his face set, 
Hour after hour, night and day, indoors and out, he bore her in his arms, trying to give her relief. Prayer after prayer to the Virgin, to the saints, Ramona had said, and candles by the dozen, though money was now scant, she had burned before the Madonna, all in vain. At last she implored Alessandro to go to San Bernardino to see a doctor. "'Find Aunt Ree, she said. "'She will go with you with Joss and talk to him. "'She can make him understand. "'Tell Aunt Ree she seems just as she did when they were here, "'only weaker and thinner.' "'Alessandro found Aunt Ree in a sort of shanty "'on the outskirts of San Bernardino. "'Not to rights yet,' she said, as if she ever would be. "'Jeff had found work, and Joss, too, had been able to do a little on pleasant days.' He had made a loom and put up a loom-house for his mother, a floor just large enough to hold the loom, rough walls and a roof, one small square window. That was all. But if Aunt Ree had been presented with a palace, she would not have been so well pleased. Already she had woven a rag carpet for herself, was at work on one for a neighbor, and had promised as many more as she could do before spring. The news of the arrival of a rag-carpet weaver having gone with dispatch all through the lower walks of San Bernardino life. "'I wouldn't have believed they had so many rags besides what they're wearing,' said Aunt Ree, as sack after sack appeared at her door. Already, too, Aunt Ree had gathered up the threads of the village life. In her friendly, impressionable way she had come into relation with scores of people, and knew who was who and what was what and why among them all, far better than many an old resident of the town. When she saw Benito galloping up to her door, she sprang down from her high stool at the loom and ran bareheaded to the gate, and before Alessandro had dismounted, cried, "'You're just the man I wanted. I've been trying to arrange it so's we could go down and see her, but Jeff couldn't leave the job he's got, and I'm druv nigh about off my feet.' "'and I don't know when we'd have fetched it. "'How's all? "'Why didn't you come in their wagon and fetch em along? "'I've got heaps to tell yer. "'I allowed yer hadn't got the rights all them things. "'The government ain't on the side of the thieves, as yer said. "'I knowed they couldn't be, "'and they've just sent out a man a purpose to look after things for yer, "'to take care of the engines and nothing else. "'That's what he's here for. "'He come last month. "'He's a real nice man.' I seen him and talked with him a spell last week. I'm going to make his wife a rag carpet. And there's a doctor, too, to tend to yer when you're sick. And the government pays him. You don't have to pay nothing. And I tell you, that's a heap of saving to get your doctrine for nothing. Aunt Ree was out of breath. Alessandro had not understood half she said. He looked about helplessly for Joss. Joss was away. In his broken English he tried to explain what Ramona had wished her to do. "'Doctor, that's just what I'm telling yer. There's one here's paid by the government to tend to the injuns that's sick. I'll go and show you to his house. I can tell him just how the baby is. Perhaps he'll drive down and see her.' "'Ah, if he would. What would Mahela say should she see him enter the door bringing a doctor?' Luckily, Joss returned in time to go with them to the doctor's house as interpreter. Alessandro was bewildered. He could not understand this new phase of affairs. Could it be true? 
As they walked along, he listened with trembling, half-incredulous hope to Joss's interpretation of Aunt Ree's voluble narrative. The doctor was in his office. To Aunt Ree's statement of Alessandro's errand, he listened indifferently, and then said, "'Is he an agency Indian?' "'A what?' exclaimed Aunt Ree. "'Does he belong to the agency? Is his name on the agency books?' No, said she, he never hearn of any agency till I was tellin' him just now. We knew him, him and her over in San Jacinto. He lives in Saboba. He's never been to San Bernardino since the agent come out. Well, is he going to put his name down on the books, said the doctor impatiently. You ought to have taken him to the agent first. Ain't you the government doctor for all Injuns? asked Aunt Ree wrathfully. That's what I heard. "'Well, my good woman, you hear a great deal, I expect, that isn't true.' And the doctor laughed coarsely, but not ill-naturedly, Alessandro all the time studying his face, with the scrutiny of one awaiting life and death. "'I am the agency physician, and I suppose all the Indians will sooner or later come in and report themselves to the agent. You'd better take this man over there. What does he want now?' Aunt Re began to explain the baby's case. Cutting her short, the doctor said, "'Yes, yes, I understand. I'll give him something that will help her.' And going into an inner room, he brought out a bottle of dark-coloured liquid, wrote a few lines of prescription, and handed it to Alessandro, saying, "'That will do her good, I guess.' "'Thanks, senor, thanks,' said Alessandro. The doctor stared. "'That's the first Indian said thank you in this office,' he said. "'You tell the agent you've brought him a rara avis.' "'What's that, Joss?' said Aunt Ree as they went out. "'Dunno,' said Joss. "'I don't like that man anyhow, Mammy. He's no good.' Alessandro looked at the bottle of medicine like one in a dream. Would it make the baby well? Had it indeed been given to him by that great government in Washington?' Was he to be protected now? Could this man who had been sent out to take care of Indians get back his San Pasquale farm for him? Alessandro's brain was in a whirl. From the doctor's office they went to the agent's house. Here Aunt Ree felt herself more at home. "'I've brought you that engine I was telling you of,' she said, with a wave of her hand toward Alessandro. "'We've been to the doctor's to get some medicine for his baby.' She's real sick, I'm afeard. The agent sat down at his desk, opened a large ledger, saying as he did so, The man's never been here before, has he? No, said Aunt Ree. What is his name? Joss gave it, and the agent began to write it in the book. Stop him, cried Alessandro agitatedly to Joss. Don't let him write till I know what he puts my name in his book for. "'Wait,' said Joss. "'He doesn't want you to write his name in that book. "'He wants to know what it's put there for.' "'Wheeling his chair with a look of suppressed impatience, "'yet trying to speak kindly, the agent said, "'There's no making these Indians understand anything. "'They seem to think if I have their names in my book, "'it gives me some power over them.' "'Well, don't it?' said the direct-minded Aunt Ree. "'Hain't you got any power over em? "'If you ain't got it over them, who have you got it over? "'What you gonna do for em? "'The agent laughed in spite of himself. "'Well, Aunt Ree, 
She was already Aunt Ri to the agent's boys. That's just the trouble with this agency. It is very different from what it would be if I had all my Indians on a reservation. Alessandro understood the words, my Indians. He had heard them before. "'What does he mean by his Indians, Joss?' he asked fiercely. "'I will not have my name in his book if it makes me his.' When Joss reluctantly interpreted this, the agent lost his temper. "'That's all the use there is trying to do anything with him. Let him go, then, if he doesn't want any help from the government.' "'Oh, no, no!' cried Aunt Ri. "'You just explain it to Joss, and he'll make him understand.' Alessandro's face had darkened. All this seemed to him exceedingly suspicious. Could it be possible that Aunt Ri and Joss, the first whites except Mr. Hartzell he had ever trusted, were deceiving him? No, that was impossible, but they themselves might be deceived. That they were simple and ignorant Alessandro well knew. Let us go, he said. I do not wish to sign any paper. Now don't be a fool, will you? You ain't signin' a thing, said Aunt Ri. "'Joss, you tell him I say there ain't anything a-bindin' him, having his name in that book. "'It's only so the agent can know what Injuns wants help and where they are. "'Ain't that so?' she added, turning to the agent. "'Tell him he can't have the agency doctor if he ain't on the agency books.' "'Not have the doctor? "'Give up this precious medicine which might save his baby's life? "'No, he could not do that.' Mahela would say, let the name be written rather than that. Let him write the name then, said Alessandro doggedly. But he went out of the room, feeling as if he had put a chain around his neck. End of chapter 22